everybody, welcome to the 31st episode of the On The Line Tennis Podcast. It's myself, Jack Edward, and my co-host today is... Hello, uh, I'm uh, Damian, it's Damian again. Uh, I'm glad to be back and, you know, uh, I, I didn't actually, I, I was just fully expecting that you were just going to introduce me. Apologies, so. yeah, we met. We met. <laughs> Surprised though, but I mean, yeah, uh, welcome guys. We met water sip, Damian, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I got you off guard. Yeah, David is here today to talk talk uh, through a bunch of tournaments that happened last week. So much to catch up on. We have Rio, Doha, Dubai, Marseille, Delray Beach. Uh, four of those, sorry, men's tournaments, and it was Dubai that was the women's tournament. There's a lot to catch up on. We'll just dive in, try and keep up. Okay, here we go. And we're going to dive into Rio first. I think Damien, if you're happy with that. Yep. Carlos Alcaraz won the tournament. Plenty to talk about for Carlos Alcaraz. I mean, the guy has broken a bunch of records this week. Makes his top 20 debut. The youngest active player to enter the top 20 ever. So younger than Nadal, younger than Djokovic, younger than Federer, younger than Andy. Only a month younger than Nadal, incidentally. But still, those comparisons still fair, I think, at this point. You know, I don't think it's too much pressure. It just seems like he takes pressure in his stride, honestly, to be to be fair. Maybe there will come some breaking point, I don't know. But yeah, the, the hype is real, definitely. I think everybody should be as crazy as they're going. Definitely, Damon. Do you feel that way? or? Yeah, I mean, he seems very well equipped to, to deal with that pressure. I yeah. think a lot of that is the partnership that he has with Ferrero. They they seem like you know sort of have like a father son relationship more than mm-hmm. than coach and and protege. So uh, I mean, what 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 I'm hearing from this guy is obviously not like I'm happy to be here, but I want to be number one. I want to win slams. Uh, he even said something about Olympic medals, and honestly, that's great. Uh, I I can't remember if I made this point. Probably no, it probably wasn't with you. I, I always have that that I talked uh, about something somewhere, but I don't remember to whom and and where. Uh, but I talked this way about some other uh, youngsters that uh, I think this sort of crazy mentality is maybe even required because it it takes some uh, it, it takes some way of thinking to become the number one to to be crazy enough to actually think that this is possible yeah, yeah because yeah. there are so many players in the world and i i guess attitude is, is is very important there and and yeah as you said he seems uh he seems like he can handle this pressure uh the only way the, the only comparison i don't like is the one to nadal that keeps happening because they literally have very few very little in common other than going sleeveless. He just has a big for, he has a big forehand, I think, and that that as well, to be uh, honest. It's yeah, not even a big forehand. Yeah, lefty, righty, completely different spin. Uh, yeah. Still yeah, I mean the the size of the forehand definitely it for me it does liken him a bit to Nadal because I you know, back in the day when Nadal was ripping that at his, his peak, arguably, he you know, was the best shot on tour for me in some ways obviously it depends on the surface blah 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 but for me yeah the biggest shot on the tour and the potential with Carlos Alcaraz's forehand is, is kind of limitless which, which you know I, I kind of see the comparison there in a way but everything else I agree yeah pretty much nothing similar at all I love the fact that he you know was so happy with the win obviously you know easy to forget he's only 18 years old and only at the start of his career so every big win should be really emotional but I kind of, you know, I, um, it was just lovely to see anyway. I kind of forget that this is a massive moment for him. 
obviously at Rio as well, you know, it was where he made his debut two years ago. Obviously, if everybody tries to cast their mind back, he defeated Albert Ramos Vinolas on his debut at 16 years old. So maybe it's got a special place in his heart as well, possibly. Yeah, I think nobody isn't a Carlos Alcaraz fan. So this was an amazing win, probably for, for most people that watch tennis in general. I'll run through a few of his matches that he won. The one in the quarterfinal, maybe the most impressive, possibly, against Berrettini. I don't know if you saw all of this, Damien. As expected, Alcaraz able to win the vast majority of the baseline rallies throughout the match. I wrote a little bit about it on the blog piece I wrote for their match in Australia. Berrettini actually won the majority of his baseline points against one in six of his opponents in Australia. Obviously, the fact that he, you know, is winning three points on serve skews the stat a little bit. You know, it's not going to, a lot of his service points aren't going to go to a rally as much as the opponents. But Alcaraz, in particular, won forty six percent of the baseline rallies. I think in Australia against Berrettini, obviously ended up losing to him as well. So, I mean, here the the stat was exactly the same, but forty four percent for Alcaraz from the baseline but obviously with a higher percentage of points ending up in baseline rallies. So he's always been better from the back of the court, kind of regardless of the surface is what I'm trying to say. He's just got a bigger backhand. You know, he, he can run around the, the forehand earlier than, than Berrettini can generally just because of the size of his, of his two shots. Yeah, I, I wasn't really that surprised with the result in the end. Don't know if you were, Damien. Yeah, I mean, he here on clay, he was able to expose that Berrettini's backhand more easily. Maybe not so much in the second set, uh, I believe maybe the another factor was that the balls got heavier. It was raining and all. Uh, but yeah. but in general, I think that this matchup on clay looks kind of lopsided because of what you mentioned. The, the the fact that he pretty much dominated the baseline in both of their matches. The fact that he ended up losing yeah. at the Australian Open, like only speaks to the fact that Berrettini in this in this particular rivalry he's actually forced to defend a lot he's often able to do that effectively because this is i believe one of the underrated things about Bertini. like everyone just says okay uh, long rallies he that's not his forte but to to get where he is you still need to be very uh you know very good at them actually turn defense into offense as well and Bertini is able to yeah. do that uh, exceptionally well a lot of the time as well but here like in this matchup so far he pretty much had to rely on carlos just having a poor patch of play or something like this and obviously they come with such an aggressive mindset where he's pretty much uh, you know hitting every single ball as if he wanted to finish the point instantly uh some people yeah. criticize it um so i guess it's early to tell but watching these super talented youngsters over the past few years I always had the, the feeling that this this isn't this isn't really what you should be focusing on early on that that inconsistency that it's okay to have that poor patch because they usually seem to somehow work it out as they age I don't know if it's about mentality probably as well as they get more experience that, that that's that's probably mm-hmm. the most important factor these these poor patches they overheating everything for a couple of games as he did here in the in the second set as he did at the Australian Open if I remember correctly like sets two and three something like that that was probably when Alcaraz had like that um, yeah. tougher mm-hmm. moment uh, so now these patches tend to tend to go away and as you said probably almost everyone likes him. I actually saw some discussion on this uh, on, on Twitter today, and the, the, there were some people that claimed that that they didn't like Alcaraz. I don't believe them. 
Like I've never, I've never, All right. I've never seen a bad word said about this guy. And I think especially these, I these people who have been following him since he was like 14 or 15, I, I, I believe we all have, have grown very fond of the of him. Uh, I, I saw that some of the arguments were like that he uh, is very aggressive in his body language towards the opponent oh or something like that. Okay. I don't know. I mean. <laughs> I like that. I, I like feisty guys who can actually, you know, who can actually back this up with their yeah, insane yeah, totally. tennis, and, and he surely does. Uh, am I surprised? Like he's not. <laughs> yeah. I was just gonna say he's not. A, he's not a feisty guy. I think a lot of the time when these players come off court and uh, the 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 actual tennis sort of matches their personality, mm-hmm. you find maybe yeah. there's a reason to be a little bit annoyed at them. But Alcaraz is one of the sort of most humble, quiet kind of guys. Of course, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I totally, totally misplaced anger there. Definitely, I think you know that's just to, I don't get that at all. If there was an actual reason, a credible reason, maybe if Alcaraz, you know, has beaten their favorite players, fine. That's probably it. To be honest, maybe that was also one of the reasons. Who knows? I mean, yeah, but he's been certainly super exciting to follow. Not only on clay, of course, his his two titles so far came on clay, but. Uh, I think mm-hmm. last year he he surprised us all with how good he was on hard courts as well. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the a future number one, and, and that's what I'm gonna say for now. Well, I if there was yeah, if there's one guy I was gonna say it, but I don't think I've said it about anybody else in the last mm-hmm. five or so years. Certainly not Zverev, not Sinner, not. You know, Medvedev even, but Medvedev might actually be obviously. Medvedev but yeah, yeah, will be number one at some point. Like probably, most definitely. Yeah, but this is the, yeah, I definitely think the hype is real. Is my point anyway. Yeah. Uh, next one he had. Yeah, if I move on to the semi very quickly, just a, a, a nice comparison to be drawn with Fanini. I thought this was really interesting. In 2019, Fanini lost to 18-year-old up-and-comer Felix Ogaraliasim in the first round of Rio, and four years later lost to. 18-year-old up-and-comer Carlos Alcaraz. So he's had a bit of bad luck at Rio. I thought that was a bit of a shame. This is a bit of a renaissance for him as well. He's really not done much for yeah. about, can't remember the last big result he had, to be honest. So, yeah, he was playing really well. Uh, yeah, Alcaraz just, I'll talk about this a bit more. The the drop shots he plays, obviously, absolutely amazing and totally unstuck Fanini. I, I just, I think it forces players... Just to, to, I don't know, I don't know, they, they can't settle at the baseline at all. It's such a good weapon to have, and I think the level of execution from Alcaraz is unreal. Like, if you actually look at where the drop shot is landing, it's like the second half of the service box pretty much every single time he, he hits it, like he gets it perfect every time. I think the fact that his forehand is so big as well, that's the reason, you know, obviously if your opponent is further back in their heels expecting a massive shot, then your drop shot's going to be even more powerful. Like I talked about... Nadal's use of the drop shot against Medvedev in the Australian Open final, for example, if you run round the forehand, you know, expecting the massive weapon of Nadal, if you play the drop shot from there, it's it's going to be much much more effective, obviously. And Alcaraz does the same thing. He runs around the forehand, normally uses a forehand drop shot rather than a backhand drop shot. Again, because you're running round the drop shot as well, you have more room to play it rather than trying to play a drop shot down the line, for example, or trying to play a drop shot cross court off the backhand is a little bit tougher as well it's not as easy when the the ball's away from your racket like that if it's coming into your body like that it's definitely a lot easier to play I I think we haven't seen that shot from any other up-and-comer as well it's pretty unique in the way he executes it so consistently Musetti 
Musetti, yeah, definitely the drop shot in general. I, I more mean like the run around forehand drop shot. Certainly. Oh, okay. He, yeah, Musetti has a good forehand drop shot one as well. Yeah, but but uh, as you're saying, I think the the very important part is that he hits them off the forehand mm-hmm, because exactly. that's the shot that the opponents fear. Yeah, uh, and you know he just winds up as if he's yeah. going to hit another powerful blast past you, and then he just does the drop shot, and that's why it's so super effective. Obviously, the blade's gonna be better. Yeah, but I think he can use that, and he's been using that on, yes. on hard courts. Yeah, as well. yeah, it's part of the reason he beat Sitsipas, Definitely, you know, it's a match, massive component yeah. in the U.S. Open match for sure. Yeah. Um, and I'd say with Masetti as well, the disguise obviously of the backhand, massive for him. It's not really the the same way he executes it as Alcaraz. Definitely, I'd say that much at least. But yeah, his drop shots class as well. Obviously, I would say that. Uh, yeah, Fanini beaten kind of soundly, I would say, considering. Then in the final against Schwartzman, obviously Schwartzman come off a five and a half hour day, I guess, yeah. uh, in his two matches against Pablo Andohar and Francesco Serendulo. Just Francisco. Francisco, even, yeah. Fran- what, Francisco? Francisco. 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 You said Francesco. Oh, did I? Francisco. Francisco, oh my goodness. Francisco. I've, I've, I'm not going to be able to get out of this hole without... You can keep saying it, actually, Damien, because I'm going to get you to talk a little bit about him, please. Can you tell us much more yeah. about him, Damien? Because obviously you, you've watched a lot of Challenger tennis in your time. He was he has been a big Challenger player for the last year or so, really. Just before Damien d- dives into that, the Serendulo brothers both had a really successful golden swing last year, one of them making a final and the other one winning Cordoba. They collectively have only won one ATP Tour main draw match between them in the the months after the, the Golden Swing. So now that the Golden Swing's back, there's a bit of success for them. Obviously, you know, it's close to home. It makes sense they do well there. but And they're both definitely way, way, way more adept on clay than, than hard courts. But still quite surprising considering they're, they're both, I think they're both in the top 100 now. You must know that, Damien, truly. Juan Manuel is falling out. I believe ah, like okay. this is around the week where he's dropping Cordoba points. Uh, I'm not sure if he's dropped them already. Uh, yeah, I think he he's gonna drop them on Monday. And Fran is in the top 100 right now. Yes. But, 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 or did he? Or no? Yeah, yeah, he is. He's yeah, actually he's like, quite, he's quite like, high. He's after. like 76 or something. I think. I yeah, 76 or something like this. Yeah. yeah. So so he is in the, the, the you know they swapped places. Uh, I mean he's won five challengers, one in Europe. Uh, I see no reason why he wouldn't be successful on clay on clay elsewhere. As actually two in Europe, sorry, splitting uh, and Cordenos. Harsh uh, to call him so, a specialist. Uh, come again. Harsh to call him a specialist. Uh, of, of clay, uh, no, definitely not. Uh, I mean, he, out of the two brothers, he's got a game that can certainly be translated just because of how aggressive he is, right? Mm-hmm. The weapons that he has. Juan Manuel obviously has. Very different court positioning, the uh, the, the moonballing style, which doesn't really work on hard, at least not yet. He would probably need that that forehand to give him more free points, just be more aggressive with it, also move a little forward into the court. Uh, but Fran, I mean, I, I see no reason why he wouldn't at some point start having some success on hard. Uh, obviously, he's never going to be quite as much as a natural as he is on, on clay courts right now. He's got a lot of issues serving out sets, serving out matches as well. We even saw it against Schwartzman. Um, actually, we even saw it against Schwartzman last week, right? Because he yeah. served for the match and didn't take it. Yeah. This time he served for the set, and the like 
Schwarzman, as you mentioned, was coming off a three and a half hour match against Andukar. Mm-hmm. And there was a point where it really seemed like Frank can just, you know, he's just going to win this because Schwarzman is just dead. Yeah. Uh, there was a 30 shot rally, can't remember the score, but definitely the first set when Frank was leading. Uh, Schwarzman had needed like, I don't know, 30 seconds to, to be ready for the next point. Like he, he was just catching breath any, any, like any, any way he could. Mm. And then Cerudolo just, like, it was clear that he decided that he was going to defeat him by just, uh, you know, getting a deep ball and out, out simply winning on, on fitness. Yeah. And that didn't happen. I mean, Schwarzman just absolutely stopped missing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, Cerudolo is, I, I, I don't know if he's a smart guy or not, but on court, it always, it's, you know, it just really often seems like he might uh, not really have that, you know, great idea of what to do. Yeah. Thank you for that, Damien. That was useful. Um, yeah, Damien, uh, Diego Schwartzman managed to come through that match. Obviously, yeah, as you say, maybe quite lucky to, to come through in straight sets for sure. Definitely um, did come through and... In the final, to be honest, I don't thought I didn't think he looked mega knackered considering the, the the day before. I thought he still moved fairly well. Maybe there was a little bit of of bite off his ball. I don't know, but I did see a few comments sort of preceding the match saying, you know, those drop shots aren't going to work against Schwartzman. Uh, that's a lie. That's definitely not true. I mean, you need to look at the level of execution again of that drop shot. It really is amazing. And again, Alcaraz was able to use that to to complement the massive forehand. Schwartzman was kept really far back in the court. He's just got too much firepower, kind of like Rude again in the, the week before. If you, you know, if you come up against somebody with that big a weapon, you can eventually hit through Schwartzman definitely. Um, if 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 you've got a big enough, probably mainly forehand definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean Alcaraz put on a masterclass. I thought it was brilliant, really, really high level stuff. Maybe top five stuff for me definitely. I, I can't, you know, remember the last time I was that sort of taken back by a player. Um, so early in his career, for sure. So, so good. What next for Carlos? Top 10 in the world by the end of the year? Question mark. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it's too early. Certainly, at the, a lot of the bigger events, I could see him making some deep runs. I, I think it's early enough for him to make deep runs, definitely, at a big events. I don't know if he's going to be winning. Right now, it's not even a bold prediction. Yeah, to yeah. Say exactly. That he exactly. I think it was, it was somewhat bold before the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. But now that he's gained 500 more, I think that's, you know, many people expected now. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Super exciting stuff. Very excited to see where he goes from here. Definitely. Um, amazing for tennis in general. Move on to Doha, I think, Damien. Sure. So Doha, Roberto Batista Agu was able to win. Really good week for him. I mean, he hadn't won a title since 2018, also in Doha, incidentally. I mean, his record in Doha is unbelievable. I think he's only lost maybe two matches. One match, sorry. One match. So he's made he's won two titles and he's made the final ones as well. Lost to Basil Ash for the last He year. also lost one in uh, 2012, I think. Uh, Matthias Buckinger, I think, beat him in the, in the ah, okay. round. But yeah, it was just, just two matches. Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, and there was a, like a big break between 2012 yeah. and 2018, so it's it's possible that the conditions weren't even you know weren't even the same. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, obviously, a completely different player back in 2012 as well. Um, oh yeah, of yeah. course. Players he's beat at the event: Kachanov, Rublev, Team Berdych, Djokovic, Favrenka, Berrettini. Albeit in 2018, to be fair, he he does insanely well there. And my theory for that, incidentally, is 
I might be, I don't know, I might be on something here, but I think certainly the conditions, the air is pretty heavy there, I'm pretty sure. Um, so I think the ball would go fairly slowly through the court, through, or through the air even, so it's easier for him to run around the forehand, but the, the hard courts themselves still give a bit of zip to the ball. So I think that weapon of his is, is still has a bit of strength, but he can set it up a little bit quicker than he would normally. So, I mean, I, th- I think that's it, because obviously he's not good on clay, Generally, in fact, it's pretty fair to say he's quite bad on clay. I, I think just that, that extra zip off the court is what, what gives that weapon of his. And it's an underrated weapon. I think that forehand from that backhand corner for Batista is, is really good. And it's obviously incredibly solid. The guy's not going to miss it if he gets the chance to set it up. So, yeah, really, really difficult weapon to counter. Off that uh, theory, I'd like to talk about Andy a little bit because Andy's match was you know, obviously incredibly bad on paper. I mean, it was incredibly bad, but I want to just, I want to go over why it's maybe not as bad as it looks. Although I'm interested to hear what you think first, Damien. Um, I definitely didn't expect that sort of a result in terms of the lopsidedness. Obviously, the the, the Bautista winning was certainly... Uh, something probably slightly more likely than Murray, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean six zero six one. Uh, that's one of his worst losses ever, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's had two other eleven uh, one losses. Federer the, at quarterfinals and some something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah twenty fourteen. Uh, I certainly didn't expect that uh, Bautista Gut was dominated the short rallies so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like you, from from a match like Murray Bautista Gut, you expect three hours, especially in Doha, which is quite. As you mentioned, I, I think the, the conditions are quite slow. Not super slow because, as you said, on clay, Bautista Gut is not good mostly, I believe, because the, the backhand has like relative lack of depth. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just too much of a weakness on clay courts. Obviously, yeah. bad, if that he's bad, there is probably a, a little bit of a stretch. Like, he made, made the forefront of Garros, won the title, right? Uh, Stadt, maybe, yeah. Something like that. But, Something but like that, anyhow, yeah. I think Bertini, but never mind. Obviously, oh, <laughs> this this is uh, this is absolutely not on the topic. But anyhow, uh, yeah, the, that that was what surprised me that the long the, the, the longer rallies they were pretty much even. I think Bautista would won like eleven to eight, something like this. Yeah, and the shorter and the, the medium ones. I mean, that was like a total dominance. Yeah, uh, he had a lot more pop on his grand strokes than Mare. Yeah. Uh, but in the which is not really something you associate with Bautista Gut because people always seem to think about him and I do too. I mean, as that sort of consistent, you know, never gonna miss guy. But he, as you mentioned, that forehand is an actual weapon, mm-hmm. and and it showed in this match. Murray had nothing like this, and I I guess that sort of speaks of uh, an issue that a lot of people have been pointing out that Murray is still playing the game as he played it. Back in 2016, 17, mm-hmm. 17, he was obviously already injured, but let's say 2016, like that he's basically trying to play the same style. Yeah. While he's the the, the big rivals of his, the the, the rest of the big four, uh, the, over time they actually had to make changes. They adapted. They started playing a lot of shorter points. They improved their serves. Maybe not Federer because his serve was always great, but. Djokovic and Nadal certainly did, and I, I, I guess I would agree with that. That Murray is basically uh, trying to play this, the the same the tennis in the same way as he did before, and it's not 
necessarily going to work. Obviously, he's still a very competitive player. He's been making these second rounds, right? Uh, left and right. Obviously, he had a final in Sydney, which is a, a big improvement over anything he did in 2021. Yeah. But it is a little, it is a little bit worrying that, uh, you know, if not for these wild cards, he'd be. We, we don't really know where he'd be right now. Like, yeah. I, I, I have no idea if it would actually benefit him to start entering challengers on his ranking, whether he'd actually be willing them, you know, because this is playing five matches in a row. And I'm obviously com- certainly very confident that Mari has the level to win a lot of challengers still, yeah. but whether he can actually win five matches in a row is, is another question, especially in, in some of the tougher fields that are there. So, yeah, I, I, I think even though he made that final in Sydney, that the, the, his career is still at a little bit of a crossroads. And yeah, I, I, I really don't, don't know where he's going. Definitely, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I definitely think he's, so um, a bit more about the serve, definitely he's, he's tried to make some improvements to that. And I mean, there was matches last year where I thought he served better than, than I'd seen him serve in his career, definitely, yeah. 100%. But I mean, he's not coming to court with that out day in, day out. And he said after the match he couldn't crack an egg with his serve I mean he was he was so unhappy with his service level I think there's days where maybe it just doesn't click and incidentally you know if you're not going to serve well against RBA there's not going to be any momentum swings for the guy you know if he's winning the 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 shorter points consistently that's not going to change I think you know if there's no way for him to win cheap and easy points yeah maybe 11-1 isn't the craziest score in the world you know I don't think it would have been much better if he was serving okay I you know it might have been four and four or something but if he was serving badly on a day like that yeah fair enough maybe a bad loss isn't the craziest thing against a guy like RBA definitely that that's all I would say but it was still a pretty shit day for him I would say that much like uh, less about Andy though I'll just I'll move on to a bit more about RBA he was able to win a couple of really good matches in the, the tail end of the the tournament the semi-final against Kachanov in particular was was really really good um twice so in the semi-final and the final at 5-all on Kachanov serving the third set, Kachanov went 40-love up. Batista Agu breaks, basically to win the match. Against Basil Ashvili in the second set, 3-1, 40-love. Batista Agu breaks to, to break back and then obviously won the second set, managed to win the match in, in straight sets. The guy's digging ability is, un, well, I don't know, maybe not underrated. I think a lot of guys know how good that is from Batista Agu, definitely, but it's, it's worth... Noting, definitely. I mean, the guy just keeps going and keeps going. Definitely a fighter. I don't know if that's maybe a, a word I would totally have attributed to him. Definitely consistent. But yeah, I mean, the, he deserves a bit of credit for that. Definitely. It's really, really impressive. Against Basil Ashville, it was kind of one of those days. I don't know how much of what you saw, Damien, but Basil Ashville took the early lead in both sets. A break up in the first set and the second set and ended up losing the straight sets. It was kind of a, an up and down one. Batista Gu still able to actually attack in quite a lot of the points as well, again, maybe because of the, the slow air. So it wasn't all just Basil Ashville hitting and missing, but at the same time, um, yeah, there's consistency, what just wasn't there for Basil Ashville, which is not that crazy a surprise, I guess. Desperately needed a, a, a result like that, though, even just a final, right? I mean, what, the guy even won a match this year? No? I don't think he had. One, I... I know, no, no, he didn't. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah you're right, you're right, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Lost the two, the two matches, the two matches to Mari. Yes, yeah, of course. It was yeah, zero yeah. six. Uh, but it's also uh, uh, going back to what I said like a minute ago. It's also in the final we sort of had the same contrast that Bautista Agut and Pasiashvili have 
such different strengths, and yet these Doha chords sits with them, you know, pretty much just as well. Uh, Basilashvili also has a crazy record in Doha, like something mm-hmm. like seventeen four, I believe. Why? Uh, okay. Which is obviously a, a huge improvement on on Probably best compared event. to any other any other event he played. Yeah, yeah. as Bautista Good, that's probably also his best event. Yeah, and and but it makes sense for Basilashvili. He's he's definitely. Even though powerful players are usually associated with faster conditions, mm-hmm. you know, he's, when he's got the time to set up the grand strokes, that's when he practically starts playing with himself. Yeah, mm-hmm, definitely. <laughs> I, 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 thought, I don't know if you saw this, but it was interesting what Batista said after the match. Obviously, they had played the final last year in 2021, mm-hmm. and Basil yep. was the one that had come out on top. He mentioned the fact that the conditions were nowhere near as windy this final. So... Mm-hmm. Obviously, for somebody like Basil Ashfilly, playing in the wind again has the in that final as in today, uh, this year, or so la- la- last year it was windy, this year it wasn't windy. Ah, uh, yeah. then it makes sense that yeah. oh, actually, does it? Well, I, I, my... Last year it was windy, mm. so Basil Ashfilly wouldn't really like wind, would he? I, I get what you mean, yeah. You kind of think wind would maybe make it a bit more erratic for what well, you sort of exacerbate mm-hmm. that erraticness. Yeah, that, that, that's what I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it, you know, it's, it's definitely what he said for sure, because he, he, he was saying, you know, mm-hmm. he said he just talked about the lack of wind compared to last year, definitely. So okay. that, that's all I can think. Maybe it's kind of like Rafa, you know, Rafa definitely likes windy conditions, and I think it's because of how much spinning it- parts on the ball. Was it Gasquet who said recently that he's like a top twenty player with a wind yeah. or with the wind or top ten player with the wind? Something like this. Yeah, again, loads of spin on the ball. I guess maybe that's it because I think players who maybe. have more spin, it's a lot easier to control the ball. Definitely, you know. Just... Yeah, in the wind, I am one of the best. I love that. If I only played the circuit with wind, I would be top fifteen, top twenty. <laughs> I was born in the wind. <laughs> that's quite. A, that's quite a quote. Yeah. It's a poignant statement. I like that. Yeah, it's cool. I think that was after the Uber match at the at the Australian. Was it? I think so. All right. I also saw him say his forehand was top 200 in the world. Oh, yes. And he's absolutely right. (laughs) Probably even lower. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just a a very, very self-effacing. I liked it. Um, Yeah, so that's my theory, I think. If you've got a lot of spin on your ball, definitely, you know, it's going to be easier to control the the ball and get used to whatever gusts and blusters there are on court. It is all I can think, so... Um, yeah, interesting to hear Batista Agu talk about that anyway. Pretty likeable guy, so I, 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 nice one. Really liked it, definitely. Uh, I'd like to move on to Dubai, Damien, if that's okay. Yep. Dubai? Yes. Ah, women. Yeah, okay, the, not, not this year. Yeah, not, not this year. Yeah, not this yeah. week, even. Yeah, yeah. The, not this week, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Helena Ostapenko able to win there. Probably with one of the the toughest draws in recent time, a five hundred, definitely. I would say. I mean, I was very very impressed with it. She she beat four Grand Slam champions in a row. Beat Sofia Kenin, Iga Swiatek, Petra Kvitova, and Simona Halep on the bounce. I mean, you know, obviously Ostapenko winning a title in general is not surprising, but she hadn't done much for a while. I, I can't remember the last time she won a title. Uh, maybe Damien's getting that up now, I'm not sure. But uh... Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, I was checking, was checking something else, but I can, uh, about the Stefinko, but I can, I can see that as well. Yeah. I can't remember the, her last title. I Honestly, is it possible? That might have oh, been last uh, Eastburn, year, actually. Yeah. Yeah, she won Eastburn, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. Other, other than Eastburn, yeah. Anyway, I mean, she returns to the top 20 for the first time since 2018. So that, that's the more important thing. She hadn't had a string of good results for a while, definitely. And just going through a few of the, the matches she played. So against Svontek, 
Schwant, I'm not going to dive into this too much, but Schwantek, again, serve was pretty poor. I don't know what's happened really, but it, it seems to have kind of gone off the boil a wee bit. Certainly in all, it mm-hmm. was pretty bad. I was going to say, you know, she, she, she had problems with it all, all uh, fortnight and obviously still got to the semis. So the rest of her game's in, in good nick, but the, the serve is kind of all over the place. Definitely. I think the first serve is one thing. Like she, she definitely improved it and she has very good days with it, mm-hmm. especially as she can really follow it up with a, with a good serve plus one. Mm-hmm. But the, the second serve, I think she tends to struggle against opponents who can just blast through it, like Collins, like Ostapenko. Also yeah. in faster conditions, like in Dubai, I believe the, the forehand back swing is a little bit of an issue yeah. because she just requires plenty of time there and you can rush her to that wing. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ostapenko probably took full control, control of that. The, the, the serve was poor, definitely. And uh, it's something she'll need to sort. It's just bizarre as well because she, she had like the best second serve points one on tour, I think, last year. Not even just on clay. It was, it was you know, hardcore as well. She had right. a really good record. So uh, something's gone pretty badly wrong recently for it to be this bad. So, yeah, lots of thoughts. Obviously, the rest of the game's really good and went to a third set tiebreak, so it was really close. The Kvitova match, that was really exciting. I mean, there was plenty of chances for Kvitova to actually win the match. Up 5-4 in the second set, 30-love. Ostapenko obviously swung for the fences naturally, as she does. Pulled off a couple of line-licking balls. In the final set as well, Kvitova served for it again. Couldn't quite make it, had a match point. In the tie break, couldn't convert it. A uh, brilliant match. Yeah, it was really, really good. I, I, I Kvitova actually showing a level of tennis that I, I hadn't seen from her in ages. But I thought it was really good. Yep. Get off the back of beating Sabalenka. You know, she kind of backed it up really well. First top ten win against Sabalenka, incidentally, since beating Barty in Doha two years ago. So she really needs something like that. You know, a week like that for sure. If she's if she's gonna have some sort of renaissance in her career, um, definitely. Absolutely impressive for. Yeah, Ostapenko though, I mean, so brave in the big points. She was able to close that one out. In the next match, she was able to beat Halep. She, I don't know how much of the precursor to this match you saw, but she'd said pre-match she'd won the French Open match because Halep couldn't handle her pace. Did you see that? No, I didn't, but... I mean, I remember the, the during that French Open, there was the uh, all these stats uh, like there, in in the business end of it, mm-hmm. there were all these stats comparing uh, Ostapenko's forehand uh, pace to who was in the final then Nadal and team probably. Yeah. Uh, no, Nadal and Vavrinka, right? Yeah. Uh, two thousand seventeen, was Nadal and Vavrinka. That, yeah. Comparing that to Nadal's and Ostapenko had higher scores. Yeah. Uh, no, obviously, yeah, it's it's sort of the case. Uh, Halep plays that style of tennis where she's uh, maybe sometimes a little bit too defensive. So if the opponent is redlining, then th- there are these matches when she just has nothing to do. Obviously, this wasn't really the case here in the beginning. But from the moment when Ostapenko took control, that that's pretty much what happened, right? Mm-hmm. And it's been an issue for it's been an issue for Halep in her entire career, I believe. And yeah. Even the the one the match lot just lost to Caro Garcia, that, that that was sort of the case as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean Halep said she didn't agree. Incidentally, she did. She cited their match in Beijing where she was able to win and said there was people that, that hit the ball harder. Obviously, you know her her way of saying it was a little bit different to Ostapenko's. Um, Ostapenko a little bit forward with how she says stuff for want of a, a better word um, oh for sure <laughs> yeah. so but yeah yeah just uh, interested to, to see a bit of a fire before the match i like that definitely um yeah i mean Halep was pretty close to winning actually i think she's been playing amazingly all year i don't think people should be too worried by 
the bagel set or the the loss to Caroline Garcia this week, incidentally. I, you know, she's had a really good year so far. I think some of the tennis she's produced so far is some of her best for sure. I don't think there's there's much evidence that she's gonna trail away at all at any point. You know, I, I think I think it's been good stuff for her so far, definitely. Um, I'll, I'll rein in a little bit on Dubai, I think, just quickly say about Kudermatova. You know, I mean, Ostapenko, I think probably her most erratic shot for me is her return. And if she's not missing her return, she's pretty much impossible to live with a lot of the time. She won 58% of her return points against Kudermatova's serve. Ended up being a love and four final. So, yeah, you know, Ostapenko, when she's on, she's on, definitely. Really good tournament for her returns to the top 20 for the first time since 2018. Who is she playing? I can't remember, actually. I'll leave it out. I can't remember who she's playing this week. But, you know, plenty of opportunities for uh, her to come in forward. She defeated Dodem yesterday. Yeah. And now she's playing Anisimova. Yes, yeah, yeah. So that'll be a really exciting match, obviously. Who can re- return yeah. better? Um, we'll see. Yeah, she'd be an exciting match. Well done, Ostapenko. I think we'll move on to Marseille now. In Marseille... Rublev was able to pick up his, I don't have it down, I think it's his ninth title, though, maybe on the table. I will see, I will see, I don't know. (laughs) I'll say ninth title for now, I'll I'll edit it out later if it's wrong. I think it's his ninth title. Yeah, it is, it is. Yep, awesome. He was able to defeat Felix in the final. First, I'd like to talk about the semi-final. There was a name there that some listeners might not recognise, possibly Benjamin Bonzi, a Frenchman who has had little success on the ATP Tour, but has had plenty of success on the Challenger Tour. In fact, he won seven, eight titles last year? Six last year and seven uh, just two weeks ago in Cherbourg, yeah. Right, okay, yeah. So, I mean, he's been class on the Challenger level, but uh, is it safe to say he is maybe mentally underperforming when he's coming to the ATP level? I think in most cases that that was it. Yeah, last year in Montpellier he had that match against bon, uh, Goffin, which he certainly could have won. Goffin went on went on to win the title. Mm-hmm. He also had these ones weird losses like to Ebden at Marseille. Obviously Ebden has been a good player before, but just compared to the level at which he was performing in challengers, especially there was this uh, stretch uh, between like in, in twenty days he won three of them. All, all in France, but two, two outdoor, one, one indoor hard. And I mean, uh, it happens every time that when someone has this much success on the Challenger Tour, you're sort of like, okay, maybe he's doing that because of weaker opposition. But just purely on the eye test, like it, it just didn't seem possible that he wouldn't at some point have a good main to run. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the end of last year was basically ruined for him because of overplaying. Mm-hmm. But even, even here, uh, the way he started, he had great performances, but then again against Goffin and against, <laughs> again in Montpellier, uh, he blew a huge lead and it really seemed like a huge mental block. So I think this is extremely important for him to do this, especially the Karatsev win, even though he was uh, like, Karatsev had some physical issues. I think it was a, le- a knee, possibly something with his leg for sure. Right. And definitely didn't play great. But just to get that win over a top 20 player yeah. has to be so big for Bonzi and also play uh, a very good match against Rublev. Maybe the the first set could have been better. But uh, yeah, I, I always thought that this must come at some point, but I was I was extremely worried and disappointed a lot of times yeah. when it seemed like Bonzi plays a fantastic match either on the Challenger Tour or in the first round of a tournament and the second round is just... Awful. Uh, the, a good example is the Australian Open, where he defeated Kovacic, obviously, uh, 
uh, isn't in great form, but the, the way Bonzi was serving there, which is actually a huge part of why he's so good on indoor, indoors right now, that that serve wasn't really there be, before 2021, at least not, it wasn't this good, and his uh, foot speed was probably the the best asset he had. Right now he's got all that attacking options as well, that if he can, if he, if he has the confidence to go back and down the line, he's excellent. But uh, I, w I was really just expecting him to have a shot, at least, against Kachanov in the second round at the Eastern Open. There's just been plenty of these matches on the main tour where, based on his level from the challengers, you'd expect he must have, you know, at least a decent chance. Yeah. And he never did. So that's why I think that, that win against Karatsev is... Uh, has to be very important for his confidence and also the the sets he took the the good match he played against Rublev. Yeah, yeah, really, really interesting stuff, David. Incidentally, you know, against Karatsev, he lost. I mean, as you say, yeah, Karatsev a little bit underperforming for sure, but it lost just seven points in serve. So obviously, it's a part of yeah. his game that's that's really strong. And yeah, I mean, if he's able to set up his his second shot really easily with his quick footwork, then. You know, indoors for him definitely is going to be a, is, is going to be a preferred surface. That makes sense. Yeah, good match against Rublev, but didn't quite make it in the final for Rublev against Felix Ogaraliasim. Awesome to see Felix making back to back finals, but evidently not something maybe he's used to. Definitely a little loose in the final, given the amount of tennis he played. Having you know, uh, he did the same two years ago, right? Rotterdam, Marseille. The, the same double, I think. Yeah, okay, so. there you go, yeah. Yeah, he, he lost to Monfils, maybe, in Rotterdam, and then to yeah, Sitsipas yeah, in Marseille, for sure. Yeah, both correct, I'm pretty sure, because those both ring a bell. Um, I mean, yeah, he played some some really good matches, you know, coming through Songa, Vashka, and Sifuli, and all in straight sets, really impressive. For me, though, I, you know, I, I think this the, the, this is what I'm trying to stress, basically. I, I don't think this was much of a mental block, really. I, I really do think a relief... Well, he said it, he said it himself. A relief had been lifted after winning Rotterdam. It didn't look like he was nervy or anything in the final. It did just look like some of his shots didn't didn't have quite as much bite as they had the, the, the preceding week, definitely. Uh, a little bit more on that. I think, you know, second serve of both players, definitely exploitable. Rublev in particular, I would say, is probably his worst shot. In the second set, though, plenty of chances for Ogaraliasim, who had dug in to, to claw it back to, to 5 all. I think Rublev had served for the match. Hadn't quite made it, though. And then, you know, 6-5 down Rublev, you know, plenty of chances to, to, to kill Rublev's second serve, and he couldn't really do much with it. Certainly not indicative of the form Ogaraliasim had shown as well. It didn't look nervy. It just looked like he couldn't quite get the, the bite he was looking for. Certainly on the forehand as well. I think for me, Ogre seems biggest weapon is his serve plus, well, forehand. It doesn't matter where it's going, but the inside and forehand in particular is really, really impressive. Likes to camp out in that backhand corner. Just couldn't get that first shot after the serve to be quite as big as he had last week. I mean, it just happened over and over again where the, the rallies were going on a little bit longer than they should have and just giving Rublev a few more chances than, than they, they, he should have got, definitely. I mean, Ogre Aliasim was, was close to un, unbreakable at his peak you know, last week, definitely. He was just so immaculate, so clean every single game. Uh, I mean, credit to Rublev. He actually has a really good down-the-line backhand and a lot of the time when Ogre Aliasim sort of camped in that backhand corner against somebody like Tsitsipas, for example, he's kind of relying on Tsitsipas not having that down the line backhand basically to, to get out of that pattern of play. And it's, it's basically just Ogre Aliasim looking for that first forehand for Tsitsipas can. Rublev a lot more capable of crunching it down the line and 
stopping that pattern play f- from from continuing. Basically, there was but there was a few times, definitely five all in the first set comes to mind where Rublev was able to break that pattern of play, and you know that was that ended up being the crucial break in that set. Um, just not as easy a dynamic for Ogarelli seemed to live with, and when he wasn't quite pulling off his service forehand as well as he had the week before, it just gave Rublev the edge, who also didn't play an amazing match to be honest. So, you know, it's it was quite a surprise that it ended in straight sets. Yeah, fair, fair point about the Rublev backhand. I mean, this is a part of his game that is not really talked about. You know, because it's, it's just so hard not to focus on the on the forehand. But you're, yeah, you're absolutely right that he's very capable of just crunching it down the line, mm-hmm. uh, and then it's it's certainly not a weakness that anymore as it probably was like three or four years ago uh, as well oh let's continue the pronunciation masterclass uh, it's Auger. <laughs> like, it can't be yeah it can't oh, be a, a g it has to be that zh, like in, i say you know French, i i yeah. i, I flip between the two so I, i've got it right sometimes okay i have pals yeah it's, who, it's for sure Auger, i assume i have so, i have pals who mm-hmm. pronounce it a lot worse than that so i feel like i kind of I'm, I'm not too bad i've got people who sort of shorten it to three syllables somehow to be fair so yeah I, i've heard i was actually very surprised to learn that but i saw a lot of people on twitter freaking out on how are these commentators still not getting feeling social i guess you're right it's been it's been four or five years yeah. since, they, since they started watching it but yeah uh the, the thing i've been super impressed with uh, phoenix this year Oh, we can always say Felix or FAA. Yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, the, the thing I've been impressed with is the clutch factor. Mm-hmm. Like, the, this is a guy who is mostly known, well, mostly known. <laughs> this yeah, is yeah. A very he's, got repu- he's got a reputation for it, though, definitely. Yeah, he had a reputation for, for being unclutch. Yeah. And right now, it's been completely different ever since this year started. Even mm-hmm. though he blew that, uh, you know, three sets to... Uh, two sets to love lead against Medvedev. That, yeah, I don't think he blew it at all. You we know? Can, like, yeah, we, we cannot really blame him for that at all. And he's like 13-4, I believe, in tie breaks this year. Yeah, oh my god. Uh, which well. has been a huge, yeah, it has been a huge part of his Australian Open run, also here in Rotterdam. And obviously he lost one to, to Rublev in, uh, in, mm-hmm. yeah, in the finals. But this is something that probably really turned his game around for me. And mm-hmm. the, this, he's quite clearly right now at this level where he can contend for big titles and he's probably going to. Uh, and you know, but the past three slums, he's made it at least to the quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah. So th- this is really such a huge development in his game. And uh, we mentioned that we were sort of expecting Alcaraz to be in the top 10 at the end of the year. I think Australia team is, you know, just another guy who really should be there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, he's, I, I think I don't know, you know, tennis, uh, aficionados definitely don't underrate the fact he's done well at the slams but certainly tennis layman maybe might not appreciate that, that making back-to-back quarterfinals at a grand slam is mm-hmm. is you know not an easy feat at all and it's it's really really testament to how consistent ogelia seem has been in yep. general definitely like it's it's not something to be underrated at all uh, so he's already had the success before this title which is why we were certain this title was going to come me and Gav definitely, you know, it was just a matter of time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, obviously such a relief to see him do it, and I'm not too worried about the loss to uh, yeah, no, me I mean, either. He's never, maybe he's never going to have a good finals record now. He's one time down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think it's going to be a mental block anymore. It just wouldn't really make wouldn't really make sense. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm super glad to see him do it, but I also never, never really thought he might end up pulling a pen at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just so far too good at this yeah. stage of his career, and that, that's all. Yeah, he's only he's still only twenty one. 
Didn't he? Yeah. 21, 21, I think. The year 2000, I think he was born. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, 21. Yeah. Um, I, and incidentally, about that finals record, I mean, Monfils has called his back a little bit. Just, you know, look at look at other people for inspiration. I'm sure his was like 5 to 22 or something at one point in his career. Uh, yeah, he had a, a, a very was, bad one. Yeah. It was pretty appalling, yeah. So, I mean, he, he's called his back. You know, there's other players that have done it, uh, Felix, so don't worry. Close with Delray Beach. Yep. Sure. So Cam Norrie managed to win his third title. Five nineteen. Sorry, just to, uh, yeah, go back. He said five nineteen at one point, and then he had seven twenty one. So that's a little bit better. So five nineteen. Yeah, was the, the he's worst. Only won, he's state. only won two titles since then. Oh, okay. Uh, no, he's he, no, no, no. He's now on eleven twenty two. Oh right, yeah, yeah. There uh, you but, go. Yeah, yeah. I was the last five he won four simply. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Simply, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty poor. Yeah, thank you, David. Always on the stats super quickly. Um, Cam, yeah, won the third title of his career. I don't know why I'm not writing down the title count. I'm just trying to get this off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure it's the third title of his career. Los Cabos, Indian uh, Wells. Los Cabos, Indian Wells, yeah. Delray makes Beach. sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, return to form because I don't think, again, I don't think he'd won a match this year. Um. Uh, you know, really good for him to come through the, the, the tournament without dropping a set as well. Just want to talk about the, the Cam Apelka final a little bit. So obviously Apelka, you know, he didn't look quite at his best, but at the same time, the guy had only been broken twice in his last eight matches. So it was always going to be a, a tall order, pardon the pun. Cam wasn't able to break on any of five big points he had for uh, the match. So yeah, clutchness of Apelka certainly a factor for him nowadays uh, you know always is going to be probably for for the big guys to be fair you, but he's, he's starting to match somebody like Isner at his best <coughs> on break points coming up with a first serve every time um on all five I mean ridiculous in fact it might not have been but it certainly came up with a clutch play every time at least the two tie breaks though I mean Cam had been the better player throughout the match to be honest and the two tie breaks resulting as they had they did wasn't much of a surprise Apelka really keen to, to move forward given the, the conditions. You know, Cam was ca- happy to sit really deep in the court and return, use his forehand to freak spin the ball back into play. Certainly not something that Apelka was easily able to deal with. You know, not many players are, but Apelka certainly um, not that adept at, at dealing with crazy balls like that. You know, Cam could just spin it back into play and it would, it would be pretty much his point if he landed the return, definitely. So yeah, Apelka trying to move forward. He's not the the worst at the net for sure. I would have liked to have seen more serving volleys. Definitely, um, he was trying to do it mid rally a lot of the time, and you know, there's a few crucial points in the the tie breaks that that went Norrie's way because Apelka tried to move in at the wrong time. Again, as well, obviously, we saw Apelka beat Brooksby last week. The rally temperament of the guy is something that's improved tenfold over the last year or so for sure. It just, you know, Cam, obviously, similar to Brooksby in rally temperament, for sure, but the, the style of their shots, completely different. And I think it was it kind of showed it was something that Apelka couldn't deal with as easily as maybe the more predictable shots of Brooksby or the more like-for-like like shots of Brooksby is what I'd say, definitely. You know, both wings are... I think the, kind of the flatness of Cam's backhand is, is a real issue in this mm. matchup. It maybe feels weird to say this after Opelka has just defeated Manarino twice, in, you know, two weeks in a row. Uh, but I think, you know, obviously, if the ball barely bounces, then that's going to be an issue for a guy who's ten, 
two yeah. meters and ten centimeters high, right? Mm. So, but I mean, so on paper, I would expect Apelka to deal with the big loopy forehand a little bit better than other players, obviously. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. but it's not the case. I mean, it wasn't the case in this mm-hmm. matchup, at least, and I don't know if it's because you know Cam is a, is a lefty, you know, kind of similar to Nadal, just spinning that forehand into anybody's backhand if, unless it's really really good is going to be an issue and I think yeah it was he wasn't able to flatten it out and hit a shot that was big enough on the backhand side for sure it might have been... maybe it makes sense because he as, as I mentioned he played Manarino twice in a row but Manarino also has a flat forehand right mm-hmm. compared to compared to Nori exactly I think he, yeah, yeah, he, does. he pretty much has two flat shots yeah, and, and Nori okay yeah but, but yeah you're right I, I also didn't think that I, I thought that only the backhand side would be the issue in this matchup. Oh, yeah. Would you also say that uh, Opelka was like physically down? Yeah. Because that's that's how, yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah, kind of how it seemed during the week that he was just gradually getting worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I definitely would, and you know, I expected the, the the same thing, Damien, for sure. But he just didn't seem to be able to deal with it. Maybe it was just on the day, bit of conditions as well. To be honest, it looked like it was a little bit difficult to hit through them, sort of sitting into Cam's wheelhouse a little bit for sure. Uh, yeah. Also, yeah, a little bit tired. I mean, the guy played three, three setters back to back to get to the final, and had obviously reached the yep. final of Dallas. Probably played about as much tennis as he had in his career over the space of two weeks, probably. Um, so you know, it made sense that he was as tired as he was. Still, you know, a good couple of weeks for him. He gets to a new career high of number seventeen in the world. Cam Norrie returns to number twelve in the world. Brilliant prep for India and Wales, Damien. What do you think? Any chance he's going to defend his <laughs> the, title? The defending champion. Yeah. I mean, I think Cam Nori was one of the guys, even I honestly, that you could really be worried that he wasn't going to, you know, keep up with his 2021 form again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think, you know, his last year was simply so out of the blue mm-hmm. <laughs> that you're always kind of unsure whether this is going to continue. I don't know if it's going to continue to the extent that he's going to be winning Masters 1000 events again, <laughs> but this is certainly a very reassuring title. Yeah, on, before that, he had the Rotterdam for final, but, but still, the, the match against Korda, for example, right, at the Australian Open, that was, that was pretty tragic, and he managed to exact revenge here perfectly. Yeah. Uh, so so that, that's also really important. Yeah, and I, uh, Opelka... I believe maybe if they played in Dallas, he would have had a better chance against Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Con- these, con- these conditions were yeah. crazy, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, conditions definitely still a massive factor for Cam, who definitely prefers it slow, even though he's had success in hard courts. Um, I mean, it definitely it needs it to, to be a little slow. I think Australia wasn't a surprise at all when he lost to Corda. The, 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 the conditions yep. were so quick, Corda was just able to hit through. The, yeah, the extent of that loss was... was yes. like, that was shocking, but, but, but yeah, that, that was one of the blockbusters of the first round for sure. Definitely on paper, on paper. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, the the match didn't end up being too too entertaining. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, um, yeah, good week for Cam. I'm excited to see how he does it in New Wales if he can pull it off. Be cool, obviously, for us British fans. So good luck to him. I think that's all we've got, Damien. That's us for the the, the episode. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah, yeah, there you. aren't any more ATP events. I know, oh. yeah. Geez, oh, you know, yeah. I would have expected a few more at least. Pretty crazy stuff. Uh, incidentally, I mean, how many tournaments are there this week? Is it... uh, on the men's side, we've got Dubai, Acapulco, and Santiago. And I think I think there are two on the women's, right? Guadalajara and, and Doha. Yeah, please join us next week for that. We'll be loads to talk about. Loads of uh, big players coming back, obviously, this week. You know, Djokovic has just won his first match against Musetti, for example. Andy as well, one against Christopher O'Connor etc etc plenty to catch up on next week I'm sure please join us 
Thank you everybody for listening this far through. I am going to do a very quick plug on Damien, whether he likes it or not. You can catch him at Last Word on Sports. You can catch him <laughs> on Twitter. Please give him a follow, etc., etc. Anything I'm sure would be appreciated by him, whether he says it or not. Please catch myself on jackoverwood.substack.com for my blog. Thanks very much, guys, for listening. And catch us next time on the Online Tennis Podcast. Cheers. Thank you, Damien. Thank you.